So this year we've been looking at fitness for the soul, we want our souls to be fit, uh, we want our souls to be well, and what does that look like, different aspects, and we looked at the first part of this year in January, the idea of worshiping Jesus, that helps us to have fit souls, and now we're looking at hoping in Jesus, or hope in Jesus, uh, and we're looking at finding that from uh, the book of Exodus, as we look at the life of Moses. We've got several chapters we're going to be looking at uh, and see how we can have hope in Jesus. And today we come to chapter 3. So you can get your Bibles and turn there. We'll look at that here in just a few minutes, or you can open up your Bible apps and, and go there. But I'll be honest with you and be very transparent with you as I come to this passage of Scripture. I feel woefully inadequate to be able to relate to you what needs to be relayed to you today. As we look at this passage of Scripture and begin to try to understand the greatness of God, it is hard to put it into words. And so today we're looking at hope in Jesus. He is great. And there are some descriptive terms that we would use when words are inadequate to express what we experience. We may say something like, you know, that was incredible, or this is incomparable, or that's going to be awesome. And we use words like that to communicate our excitement about a trip that, that we just took and the scenes that we saw. And we say, man, it was incredible. Or words to describe a meal that we're enjoying at a great restaurant, and we'll say, man, this is incomparable to anything I've ever had before. Or maybe we would say something to the fact that the, if Words, we need words to define a game that we're about to play or about to watch a new game. And with him, this is going to be awesome. And so, however, we think about those words, incredible, incomparable, and awesome. We rarely use, we rarely use those words uh, when we're talking about the Lord. When was the last time you heard somebody say, he is incredible. He's incomparable. He's awesome. Or when's the last time we used those words to describe the greatness of our God? You know, as a matter of fact, as I think about it, as I came to this passage today and thinking about looking at the greatness of God, I'm often concerned and that disciples today have lost a sense of the awesomeness of God. I tend to think that maybe we are missing today the awareness of the wonder of God. As a matter of fact, I think too often, too many of us uh, have become blasé, unconcerned, apathetic, and unmoved by the greatness of our God. Oftentimes, we will yawn at the things of God and chase after the things of this world. So I want us to look at this amazing passage of Scripture I want you to try to imagine being there that day as Moses experiences the presence of the one true living great God. And may we walk away today once again amazed but also affected by who he is. Amen? Y'all with me this morning? All right. So we're going to look at Exodus 3 verses 1 through 15. If you're able and honor reverence to the word of God, if you'd please stand as I read this passage for us today. Exodus 3, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 15 today of this chapter. <clears throat> now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. 
He fled his flock to the west side of the wilderness, came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And the Lord said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold... The cry of the people of Israel have, has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, If I am to come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they asked me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have today to be able to break open the Word of God together, to learn more, to be reminded more of who you are and what you have done. And specifically today, Lord, as we think about your greatness, who am I that you would give me this privilege to be able to share this Word with your people? But I claim your promise as you promised to Moses that you are with me, and that you are with us, that you have a word for us to hear today. Lord, let us walk away with a renewed sense of who you are and what you've done, and know indeed that you are great and incredible and incomparable and awesome. Draw people to yourself today, those for salvation who are lost, and those who, don't, who, who do know you, maybe a time of real revival of our hearts and spirit and soul. And Lord, now I pray that the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Well, there's two, as you, if you picked up the bulletin notes or if you have that in your app, you'll notice that there are two points to today's message. And I will tell you that the first point is much longer than the second one, okay? Because I have three sub-points under that first one. So if you picked up the bulletin notes, you'll notice there's just a little bit of room there. So you'll have to make notes somewhere else on that piece of paper. But nevertheless, I want us to see some things today. And then at the end, as we do every time, there are some to-dos, which are application points. What we have learned, what we've gleaned from the passage, how we apply that to our life as well. And we'll have two of those as well. So here's the first point that we look at as we think about hope in Jesus. He is great. First off, realize His greatness. The first thing we want to see in this passage of Scripture as we come to this, let us realize His greatness. Just as Moses, I believe we'll see this, 
Moses realized the greatness of the Lord as the Lord revealed his greatness to him. Now, as we come to this passage, we understand this was just an ordinary day in the life of Moses. Now, understand Moses now has been 40 years since he has left Egypt, and he was 40 years old when he left Egypt, so now he is an 80-year-old man. And he is a shepherd, he is shepherding flocks uh, of his father-in-law. And so he is, this is, for him, this is an, he is doing the ordinary on an ordinary day in an ordinary way. But he now, we see here in the scripture, he has an encounter with the living God. And he comes face to face with the greatness of who God is. And so he comes, Moses comes to the west side of the wilderness, it tells us here, and he goes to Horeb. And he notices something unusual is taking place. There's a bush burning. It wasn't unusual for occasionally for there to be something on fire in that wilderness. But a bush burning, this bush is specifically, it, he noticed that this bush isn't burning out and it's not burning up. So God is revealing to Moses his greatness. And he's revealing, him, revealing to him in what he shows him, but also in what he tells him. So Moses realizes the greatness of God as the Lord God Almighty reveals this greatness to him as he shows him some things and tells him some things. We're going to look at those. So Moses realizes the greatness of God. And my, what I want to say to you today and what you to understand is that we also should understand the greatness of God. Amen? And so there are three, three sub-points to this that I want us to see uh, as we think about realizing his greatness. Number one, the first part of that is he is holy God. Realize his greatness, he is holy God. And he shows Moses uh, that his godness, if you will, that, his holy, that he is holy God. In verses 2 and 3, I think, as we look at this passage of Scripture, it tells us here, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, he, Moses, looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight while the bush is not burned. And so as we look at this, the Lord is, is revealing to Moses his greatness. Say, Pastor, how do you see that? Well, we see in this passage, first off, that it tells us that the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, in some of your translations, as you look at your Bibles and your Bible apps, you'll notice that the word angel is capitalized which means that there are theologians who believe, scholars who believe that this angel is not an ordinary angel. It's the angel of the Lord. That's known as, they call this a theophany. And so they believe, and I believe, that what we're seeing here is a picture or an image of the pre-incarnate Christ, the pre-incarnate Jesus. And we, think, and we know that it's more than an angel because in the next verse, we see that it tells us that the Lord saw and God called. So this is more than an angel. This is God himself, okay? And it tells us that he appeared, and he appeared to reveal his greatness. So how does he show his greatness? How does God show Moses his greatness and what's taking place here at the burning bush? We see there that it tells us that a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burned, yet not consumed. All right? So first off, this fire. Okay, so God appears to Moses as a flame of fire. Now, why, why does that happen? Why does God appear to Moses as a fire? Why does he appear in this bush as a flame of fire? Well, here's a couple of things. When we think about fire, okay, fire can be dangerous, but also fire can be delightful, right? 
Fire can be what is needed for life, but also fire can be the cause of death. We know that fire burns and fire consumes, but also fire lights the way and gives warmth. And so as we look at this passage and we see this flame of fire, we're reminded that fire is both, we see in the image of the fire, that we see both the power and the pleasure of the Lord through that image of fire, okay? Often in Scripture, as a matter of fact, we'll see fire as an image that reveals the glory of God, the greatness of God. A couple of places I want to show you this morning real quick is Genesis chapter 15, when the Lord made the covenant with Abraham, he said to Abraham, I'm your shield and your reward will be great. Then God makes a covenant as he makes that covenant with Abraham. He uses it with the sacrifice of animals, cutting those animals in half. And we see in verse 17 in Genesis 15, it tells us that when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And so we see this flame of fire. God is making this covenant, a covenant of love with Abraham. And then later, when God is charging the Israelites to stay away from idolatry, Moses says this in Deuteronomy 4, he says, take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and, make a, and you make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you, Watch this, verse 24. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And so we see here that fire is both powerful and pleasurable, both dangerous and delightful. As we think about that being the image of who God is. So we see once, and then we also see, as you move through the book of Exodus, you see that once the Israelites leave Egypt, we see this beautiful picture of how God is leading his people out of Egypt. And in, verse, in Exodus 13, verse 21, it says, And the Lord went before them, the children of Israel, by day in a pillar of cloud, and to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire, to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. This is a beautiful picture of God's guiding and directing and leading, right? And then you come to Psalm 97, and you see these words about the Lord. It says, fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. And so you have this image of the flame of fire, and, and it's showing us his greatness and his glory. Amen? It's showing that there is delight, but also danger. There's pleasure. There's also power. There's the blessing, and there is burning. Beloved, as we see what God is showing to Moses, it is the greatness of our God. That he reveals his greatness, and Moses realizes, realizes it, and so should we. For the Lord is incredible and incomparable and awesome. But also we see not only as we think about him showing how he is holy God, we see that same verse where in verse 2 where the, we see that flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, but also Moses looked and behold the bush was burning yet not consumed. I mean, think about this, the bush that's burning that's not being consumed. It's on fire but it's not burning up, it's not burning out. That shows the greatness of God. I mean, this is just a plain old thorn bush. If you look at the, the word there, it's just a plain old thorn bush. But God was doing something through that bush. In verse 3, it tells us here that 
Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. And so we see here that that of a thorn bush was just the instrument, it was just the vessel that God chose to use to reveal his glory and his greatness to Moses. And so the Lord is revealing his greatness and he is showing him as this bush is not being consumed that that he is God and that he can do whatever he wants to and he can do whatever he needs to do using whatever he desires because he is sovereign and he is powerful and he is great and he has power over all of creation. I mean, who ever heard of a bush that's burning that didn't burn out or burn up, right? So what a great and powerful God he is. And so he's revealing his greatness, that he's the one who causes this bush to continue to burn. It's indicating that he never runs out of fuel. He never runs out of energy. He's not dependent on anyone for anything, that he is a self-existent God, that he is self-sufficient. He doesn't need us. We need him. Amen? And so we see him. He never runs out of fuel. You know, we think about our own lives. Man, we run out of fuel, don't we? About 1.30 in the afternoon, what do we say? I just need one more cup of coffee. <laughs> or as we are getting older in life, I'm, not, I'm needing the coffee, plus I need, just find me some vitamins to get me some more energy, whatever it may be. But here's the greatness of our God, that he doesn't need anyone or anything. He is God. He's self-existent, self-sufficient. He reveals his greatness Moses realizes it, and so should we, that the Lord is incredible, that he is incomparable, and he is awesome. Amen? He shows him in the fire and the non-consumed bush, but also he tells of his greatness, that he is holy God. We see in verse four, six, four, verses 4 through 6, again it tells us here, When the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, Here I am. Verse 5, then he said, the Lord said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And the Lord said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face where he was afraid to look. And so what we see here, the Lord says to Moses, Moses, take off your shoes. Take off your sandals, because where you're standing, this is holy ground ground. Now, so what's the Lord telling him here? He's telling him, look, he is revealing to Moses that he is holy God. He's revealing his holiness. Because understand, the ground is not holy because of what it is. The ground is holy because of who is there. Amen? That's why it's holy. Holy God is there. And so the ground is holy because of the holy presence of God. And so what God is doing here is as he's revealing his greatness to Moses, he's saying, look, he's emphasizing the gap between the divine and humanity. He's saying, look, don't come near. Keep your distance. I am holy and you are not. Beloved, we think of that. that we think about the greatness of our God. Amen. The greatness of our God. He reveals his greatness. Moses realizes it. So should we that the Lord is incredible. He's incomparable. He is awesome. But also he tells something else in this passage we read today of his greatness as he reveals his greatness. He tells his name. 
you look at verses 14 and 15. So Moses has just asked, so, so when I go, if I, if I come to those people and I ask, who sent you? Then what am I going to tell them? What's your name? Or what's his name? And then the Lord says, verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And so he said, look, I am who I am. That's my name. And this name of I am who I am, it represents this name of God. It represents his entire character, his entire reputation, that he is who he is, that he is infinitely perfect, that he is the eternal God, that he is unchangeable. He is the I am who I am, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the great I am. Amen? And so this is also who Jesus reveals himself to be. In John chapter 8, verse 58, when he's uh, having some confrontation with the Pharisees there, and they're bickering back and forth, and then finally the Lord says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Clearly pointing back to the name of God. He is holy God. The greatness of our God, friends. He reveals his greatness. Moses realizes it, and so should we. That the Lord is incredible, that he is incomparable, and he is awesome. So we see here that we're to realize, Moses realizes his greatness, we're to realize his greatness, and the Lord reveals that to him as he shows him and he tells him that he is holy God. There's a second sub-point here. Not only does he reveal it by saying he is holy God, showing he's holy God, but also we see this to Moses. Moses, he knows your name. Realizing his greatness, he knows your name. Verse 4, again, it tells us that when the Lord saw that Moses had turned aside to see God, uh, to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. <laughs> the greatness of God, amen? The greatness of God. And we'll say, well, how do you see the greatness of God here, Pastor? Well, think about this. Here is the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. The holy, powerful creator who is eternal and glorious and perfect. He holds the entire universe in his hand, controlling the entire world, sustaining the world from one end of the universe to the other. And yet he knows Moses by name. And that's incredible. With all that he's got going on. I mean, he's got to be concerned about those stars over here and those people over there and the things that are happening here and there. But yet he knows Moses and he knows, his, knows Moses' name. But you know what else? He knows you and he knows me. Beloved, the greatness of God. Amen? The greatness of God. He knows it all. And he knows you, just as he knew Moses. You say, well, how does he know me? Well, he formed you in your mother's womb. 
And he knows all about you, friend. He knows your end from the beginning. He knows your past, your present, and your future. He knows your cries, and he knows your struggles. He knows your wants. He knows your needs. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. He knows all you do, and he knows all your secrets. He knows what you say. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what no one else knows about you. And Moses realizes it as the eternal God of the universe speaks his name, Moses, Moses. Now, what do you think Moses was thinking when the eternal God of the universe called him by name? I think it's all encapsulated into several emotions. Maybe there was fear. He knows me, and he knows all about me. And maybe there's some awe in that. Indeed, I believe it is. Who am I that he knows me? But also included has to be, he knows me. What a great God this is. The Lord reveals his greatness to Moses. Moses realizes it, and so should we. The Lord is incredible, he is incomparable, he is awesome. So we are to realize his greatness as Moses does here. As God reveals he's holy God, that he knows your name. And then here's the third subpoint: he sends you on mission. He sends you on mission. And so Moses is going to realize God's greatness because he understands that he's getting ready to be sent on mission. So let's look at verses 7 through 9. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites, and now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. You say, well, God is revealing his greatness. Moses realizes his greatness as he understands that he is being sent on mission. But before we see he's being sent, we need to understand what's the mission. Because the mission is part of his greatness. The mission is part of his greatness here because we understand that he, here's the greatness here is that here is holy God. He is the eternal great I am. He knows all about Moses. He knows all about his people. And he is there. He is coming, he says, to deliver and to redeem them. That's the mission that God has. He knows these people. We talked about this last week. He knows they're going to rebel. He knows they're going to disobey. He knows Moses' past and his present and his future. And yet here he is, the greatest of God. He has a mission to redeem and to deliver them. And that redemption is that they are to, he is going to come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. You friends, when we look at this, we see that the story of the Egyptians here, we have to understand and be reminded that this is also our story as well. Amen. This is our story. It's a story of redemption. And here we see the greatness of our God and his mission for us. Praise God. His mission was to redeem and deliver us too. Amen. Amen. Through his son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's the greatness of our God, that he is holy God, who's the eternal great I am. He knows all about you. He knows all about me. And he is our deliverer and redeemer as Jesus, the holy son of God, left the glory of heaven and came to call us and to bring us up, to come down, to deliver us out of the bondage of sin and to bring us, bring us up out of that to a holy land. Amen. That's the greatness of our God. He's incredible, incomparable. He is awesome. 
But not only that, we see that, not only do we see this mission that's so great and wonderful, but that, but we think about what happens next. What would Moses expect God to say next if he only heard, as he only heard those verses there, verses 7 through 9? So he heard that God said, okay, I'm going to come down to deliver them. I'm going to bring them up. And so Moses might be thinking God's going to say, okay, so next thing the Lord would say is, okay, I'm going to destroy all the Egyptians and they're going to leave Egypt. But that's not what the Lord says. The Lord says, Moses, I have a plan and you're it. I'm going to send you. I'm going to use you. Verse 10, he says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Beloved, we see the greatness of God in that. You say, how is God revealing his greatness right there? Here's how. Because God gains great glory as he uses flawed instruments to accomplish his purposes. When he uses thorn bushes or imperfect people, he uses them to accomplish his purposes. He gets great glory. Amen? And so as he uses us as his instruments, then we realize our God is a great God. And that the world watches and knows that we're imperfect people. And yet God uses us to point people to himself. The world realizes he is great as he uses people to fulfill his plan. Because we recognize that it is not by our power, but it's by his power. Amen? As a matter of fact, in verse 11 and 12, it says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? to hear your call to preach? Who am I to go on the mission field? Who am I to go to my neighbor? Who am I to serve those people down the street? But the Lord says, but I will be with you. I will be with you. That's the greatness of our God. That he uses us for his glory. And he receives the glory as he uses us. He's still using us as simple jars of clay. Us flawed vessels that we are, the imperfect people that we are. In 2 Corinthians 4, we read these words, verses 6 and following. It says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we, but we have this treasure in jars of clay, we have this treasure of knowing Jesus. We have this treasure of the gospel message to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He uses us. Oh, the greatness of God. How great he is wonderful. And, and his, he reveals his greatness. And Moses realizes his greatness. And so should we. The Lord is incredible. He is incomparable. And he is awesome. That's the first point. All right. Realize his greatness. And here's the second point. And it is much shorter than the first. And that's this. Respond to him. So let me ask you, how would you respond as you, if you were finding yourself in the same position that Moses was in? How would you respond to his greatness? 
If you to experience God like Moses did, realizing that he is the great God who is all-powerful, the all-knowing, the eternal God, that's the flame of fire revealing his glory that can consume you or give you life, who is holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, the great God who knows all about you, that calls you by name, showing and telling you that he is the one true living God, the one who is the great I am, what you going to do? What you going to do? Like Moses here, what you going to do? You know, I, I thought about that as I was thinking about it this morning. And what would people do if they were in today's world and they were to experience a burning bush and God would say, hey, this is who I am. I think that some people would say, I can't understand this. I got to get this on social media as quick as I can. Or I got to call Fox News. They need to get a picture of this. I need to sell tickets. I need to make a T-shirt. I survived the burning bush. I mean, all kinds of things in this world today, right? But here's what I want you to understand. If you were to see and to experience God, realizing that he is the great God, beloved, you would do exactly what Moses did. In verse 6 it says, Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God can I submit to you that one day we're going to be in his presence one day we will see him and beloved we will see him and he will be incredible and incomparable and awesome And he will be far more glorious and great than what we can even begin to imagine today. And his holiness and his purity will jolt us into the reality that we are not worthy to be in his presence. You say, well, that's not the picture I get when I think about going to heaven, Pastor. So where where do you get that from? Well, let me give you a couple of examples where I believe that's going to be us. Well, we got it here. Moses sees the Lord here, and he hides his face. Or he's afraid to look, okay? But then also we go to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah is, get this now, remember, Isaiah is a prophet of God. He is a, a, prophet, a man that God has chosen and set aside, set him apart to be used as his prophet, to point people to himself of what is to come, how they're going through sin, how they're sinful people, but also what is happening and what is going to happen in the near future and things that we haven't even seen yet. God uses this man, Isaiah, as his prophet. And yet we come to chapter 6, and it tells us, Isaiah writes, In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the, stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And two he flew. And then one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And then I said, Isaiah, I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, or I am undone, or for I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, Isaiah recognized in the presence of such holiness what a sinful man he was. 
You say, well, Pastor, that's the Old Testament. That's how God used to be. He's not scary anymore. Okay, well, I hear you. But let's think about somebody else. How about in the New Testament? The Apostle John, the beloved of the Lord. We see him reclining on the breast of the Lord at the table, the Lord's table, right? We see in Scripture that he is one the Lord loved. He's very close to Jesus. He's in that inner circle, right? And then as John, the Apostle John, has been banished to Patmos, as the Lord gives him a revelation of himself and of, in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 1, in verses 12 and following, that same John, the Apostle John, who knows the Lord, who loved the Lord, who walked with the Lord, he says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like, like wool, like snow. His eyes, watch this, were like a what? Flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he had held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And listen to what the Apostle John says, verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Beloved, when we see him, we will recognize his holiness, his purity, and his greatness. And we will recognize our unworthiness to be in his presence. And we will be overwhelmed. You know, when we think about Jesus, there are a lot of people who say they know Jesus, but they have no idea that he is holy God and nor what that really means. But Jesus is God and he is holy God and he knows your name. He is the almighty, he is the all-knowing, he is the ever-present, he is the eternal creator of the universe, the sustainer of all things. He is holy, holy, holy. And what we see here is that when Moses saw the Lord, he hid his face. When Isaiah saw the Lord, he recognized his sinfulness. When John saw the Lord, he went weak and he fell at his feet. How are we going to respond? The same way. Falling at his feet, recognizing our unworthiness to be in his presence, humbling ourselves before him, realizing maybe for the first time that this whole life has never been about me, but it's all been about him. But also, friends, as we think about Moses and Isaiah and John and how they were affected by the Lord, we should be affected the same way. And so the proper response is to realize, in realizing his greatness, we're to humble ourselves before the Lord, surrender to his call upon our lives, and be used for his glory. Amen? So the question is, are you aware of his greatness? Have you been affected by who he is and what he's done? Let us recognize that he is our great God who, who is holy, 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 who, who knows you, who's redeemed you, who has delivered you and is sending you on a mission to point others to him. Because you need to understand that you have hope in Jesus. 
Yes, he's holy God, and he's a consuming fire. But beloved, here's what I also want you to understand. He is also your Savior, and he is your Redeemer, and he is your righteousness. You see, we are not holy enough to be in his presence. But because of what he did for us on the cross of Calvary and at the empty tomb, he made us holy. We were not righteous enough. But because of his righteousness, he gave us his righteousness as he went to the cross for us. He came and bridged the gap between the divine and the human. He has come to make the way for us to become holy. He has come so that we can enter into his presence now and forever. Because Jesus, the Son of God, he came and he lived a sinless life. And when he went to the cross, he died on the cross of Calvary, taking your place and my place there. He didn't deserve that. We did. And he took our place there, taking the penalty that we deserved. And then on the third day, he rose bodily from the grave, defeating death, defeating hell, defeating sin. And now our response to that is that we are to turn from sin, turn to Jesus, trusting him by faith that he is who he says he is. That he's our Savior and our Redeemer. That he's delivered us. We've asked him to cleanse us of our sin, but to be the Lord of our lives as well. And then, beloved, when we do that, one day, when we see him, and as we fall before him, he will say to us what he said to John after John fell at his feet as dead. The Lord next says, fear not. Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. We can have hope in Jesus. Amen. And we will be with him forever. And always be amazed at his glory and his greatness. What a day that's going to be. Amen. So realize his greatness. Respond to him. Humble yourself before him. Surrender to his call on your life. Be used for his glory. And now we have two to-dos, all right? Two application points, taking what we've gleaned from the scriptures today. Here are the two things to take and apply to our lives. And here's the first one, and it's this. Be the bush. You say, Pastor, you have lost your mind. It's easy for James and Felicia. They're already the bush, right? But all the rest of us, to be the bush, okay? Because you're likely, listen, you're likely not to have a burning bush experience like Moses did. But you can make yourself available to be that old thorny bush. You say, what are you talking about? Well, think about it with me. The bush was simply the instrument that God used to reveal himself to Moses, right? We need to be an instrument that God uses to reveal himself to other people. I love it about the bush, that the bush knew it wasn't about the bush, but it was the Lord in the bush, right? I also love it that the bush was available. I also love it that the bush was usable. I also love it that the bush didn't argue with God about using him. Right? Be the bush. And the bush glowed the light of the Lord. Be the bush. Beloved, I don't know about you, but here's the prayer I have for me to the Lord. Lord, I just want to be like that bush. And I pray, God, would you set me on fire for you? Set me on fire for you and let me burn hot with the glory of God. 
People would not be pointed to Joey, but they'd be pointed to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Be the bush. And then second to do is realize and respond. Realize his greatness and respond. Realize he's holy God who knows your name. Respond by turning to him. Respond by humbling yourself, surrendering to him, being used for his glory. You see, friends, Moses had an encounter with the great living God, and his life was changed by that encounter. My question for you as we get ready to have our invitation is, has your life been changed by our great God? He knows your name. He came to redeem you. Have you been changed by him? Let's pray together. Father, would you have your way in our hearts and lives as we remember your greatness today? Lord, as we remember your greatness and your glory, Lord, may we be amazed and may we be affected. Lord, please don't let us leave the same way we came in. Lord, may we be jolted even today to be reminded of how great and glorious you are, how gracious you are to redeem us, and how wonderful and great you are that you allow us the privilege to be your instruments. Lord, let us be committed to you today. Lord, may we repent of our self-centeredness, our arguing with you about your call upon our lives. And Lord, may we simply submit to you because you are a holy God. You know our name. You send us on mission. And what a mission it is. God, I pray that we'd humble ourselves before you, surrender to your call upon our lives and be used for your glory. Lord, whether that call is to go to our neighbor across the street, to talk to that person in line at the store, to have conversations with our co-workers, whether it's to serve those who are hurting, but in all things, pointing them to Jesus, whether that's here, whether that's in another state or another country where you've called us to be on mission. May we be faithful and obedient to you because you are great. You are incredible. You are incomparable. And you are our awesome God. And you are worthy of our obedience to you and our love for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.